Hey, hi everybody. I'm Dr. Len Bear, and I am meeting with Don Prosser today again. Uh, this is our fourth conversation, I think, that we're recording, Don. I believe so. Always good to see you, Len. Always good to see you, Don. You look awfully comfortable in that cabin. I'm relaxing, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't have a plan for this conversation, but we always find stuff to talk about. One thing I produced after our last conversation about V2K is a um, couple of um, technical slides that I want to share with you because it kind of wraps up the conversation about V2K. So this is the presentation I mentioned to you. I call it part two, uh, sensation of hearing or sensation of hearing sound. It's still about understanding the V2K phenomenon, but it's a little bit more technical than the first one. The reason I put it together is because there is this patent. They call it sort of the central patent for V2K, and it was issued in 1988. They call it the Ericsson patent because I think the Ericsson Corporation owns it. It talks about a hearing system, and the hearing system is based not only uh, acoustic range uh, waves, uh, which is from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz, but, but by using radio waves in the microwave range, uh, specifically 100 to 10,000 megahertz. Well, the difference between megahertz and Kilohertz and megahertz, the thousand times higher frequency. So it's faster a thousand yeah. times. And it talks about how you can produce sensation of hearing through modulation of the wave. And there are two main forms of modulation. It's uh, It can be modulated into bursts and pulses. And that's pretty easy to imagine. But the second time of modulation is a modulation of the waveforms. And it's harder to imagine, so that's why I prepared this slide. So imagine that this red line is an acoustic signal that represents some kind of word, a dog or a house. And then the second is a microwave signal, which is, you know, uh, has high frequency. And then you can imprint this acoustic signal shape onto a microwave uh, signal, and you will end up with a modulated microwave signal. And that will allow you to hear that word without it being transferred through the air as an acoustic signal. This is important to understand how a microwave signal that we're not supposed to hear produces the hearing effect by this type of modulation, and it produces recognizable words. Uh, this is a key patent. Everything else is derivative. Uh, there are a bunch of uh, patents based on this patent, and there are also uh, a lot of patents that are not based on it, but, but the same principle. So... I hope after that, uh, 
you or or anybody who watched the presentation that was part of one of the episodes can explain uh, how v2k works it works by modulating microwave signals into pulses and modulating the shape of the radio wave do you have any comments or questions about that is that information yeah, I think that for the layman I'm not sure that we understand the difference between an audio signal and a microwave, but it seems that the person who got that patent found some way to kind of interpenetrate the two. Is that right? Yes. Changing the shape of the wave is like next step, next next level of sophistication. But well, the date was very interesting. I noticed hmm. that the date of the when that person filed for the patent is 1989. That's a very interesting time in uh, American-Soviet relations. I don't know if, obviously that was probably not the first time it was used, but he's applying for a patent during a very interesting uh, period in history. I don't know if that has any bearing on anything, but you may find that the date he did that coincides with other things uh, either lack of information or more information. So I'm curious where you'll, how you'll see that unroll. Probably everything is connected. So there's probably some connection uh, between the political landscape and the developments. What's interesting actually about that patent is that United States uh, Patent Office accepted it without the proof of concept. And this is this is normal. You have an idea and you can patent it without demonstrating the fact. And so this is one of the patents where he said, this is how it's done, but I have not produced a machine that does that. And the US patent accepted it. But that was used as a basis for further patents and improvements. The takeaway message from here is that the frequency of the carrier signal, the main signal that you're receiving, almost doesn't matter. What matters is how it is modulated. And that modulation is what produces hearing effect. So it can be in megahertz, it can be in gigahertz. Modulation of the carrier wave is what makes you have a sensation, sensation of yes. Does uh, the, the designer's name mean anything to you? Is he a government employee, uh, or is it just really totally ambiguous and doesn't mean anything? Uh, he worked for. A, I did a little bit of uh, looking up. Uh, he worked for a private corporation and filed this patent. This is an expired patent. That's why the new patents are. Uh, you know, made improvements and, and a lot of these uh, patents are uh, owned by the U.S. government or acquired by companies where U.S. government is behind behind that. But the bottom line that it is real, it's been used, and this is how it's done. So that was the point of my little technical presentation to revive our conversation. What I had in mind for today is um, is more of a human aspect of uh, V2K. My advice to everybody who experiences V2K is try to ignore it because the purpose of it is to drain you. It is to drain you cognitively, mentally, 
to distract you from doing mm-hmm. other cognitive work. So ignoring it is the best advice I could I could give. This is why I am wearing noise canceling headphones all the time. So I have a speech playing in my ears. So my brain can concentrate on that rather than on what's uh, coming into my uh, brain. Yeah, broadcasted, bypassing my ear canal. However, it it still gets in. And because it's a human voice, our nature is such that when we hear a human voice, especially if it calls your name and, and tries to tell you something, we can't help but pay attention to it and it's very distracting i i keep telling myself this these are not people this these are not your friends they're not in this case it's my family so it's even harder but i'm i'm telling myself this is artificial intelligence these are these are uh, modulated voices it the content doesn't matter. The content is not helpful. If you follow the content of VDK, it's basically gonna take you to some uh, down the rabbit hole, uh, to some paranoid conclusion. It will use you as a pawn. And I'm just trying to ignore. But it is so hard. It just goes against your human nature because we are social animals. So we communicate. We hear a human voice. It's trying to engage you in a conversation. And so this is so contrary to your instinct. I'm trying to find a way to dehumanize a human voice. And it's so hard. Do you have any thoughts about it, Don? Yeah, um, I'm really reminded of something... uh... You know, in seminary, we spend a lot of time meditating, just hours and hours and hours, weeks and months on end. And at the beginning, it's very similar to the old saying where they say, you know, don't think about a blue elephant. Of course, that's all you're going to think about. Um, And they introduce us to this. um, I'm going to call it a technique, but we really don't use techniques per se. But I think for this conversation to make sense, it's called shikan. She means stop. Khan means view. So normally our, our mind wants to do what they call monkey mind, jump from branch to branch, right? I have this thought, now I'm thinking of being an ax murderer, now I want to go to the bank, now I want to have lasagna for dinner. There's all these, you know, the monkey's constantly going to and fro. And that's that's a habit of being human. Um, we we think, therefore we believe what we think. That's probably our biggest crux in life. So we actually believe what we think when the majority of it should be questioned. Maybe that's for another conversation. But I see this as somewhat of a defense, maybe against V2K. If someone could reach a meditative, um, I'm going to call it equanimity, just a, a balanced state where what comes in is just as meaningless as what projects out. So when I have those thoughts of, what do I want to eat for dinner tonight? Or look at that red bus. There's an absolutely meaningless in the greater scheme, because as you know, they're just synapses and dendrites and everything up there just firing, just like having a little party. But the idea of this shikan meditation is not to stop thinking. It's to start seeing. 
and they don't mean visual seeing they mean see everything or or maybe a better word is perceive perceive everything as empty of intrinsic meaning when we normally have a thought we think well this is don thinking he's speaking to len he's thinking he's hearing len respond to me and all of that is absolutely meaningless in the bigger scheme because things are just happening. When we attach to them, we say, okay, well, Len's opinion I agree with, or Len's opinion I don't agree with. We start putting on these values and judgments. And that, according to my teachers, is where we bog down. That if we could truly reach a state of true meditative equality, we would hear, see, smell, all of our senses would work, but us as a vessel, we wouldn't attach to them. You know, I like this. I don't like that. There would just be um, a perception. And I, and I don't mean perception at the, at the kind of cognitive level. I mean, I, even for me to say I am thinking is a value judgment, right? I'm putting a subject and an object, right? Me, I am thinking of what really, really doesn't matter. So I'm wondering if, if some kind of um, maybe experimentation with different states of meditation would give you a, a blank sheet that nothing could be shot into. Or rather, if it is shot into, what you are hearing is just as meaningless as what I'm saying right now, just as meaningless. And you're, you would have a defense in your system um, to perceive it as just as empty as everything else. Because what you said is it drains you, right? You have to spend cognitive energy either to say, get the hell out of my head, or what the heck did he just say? I have to think about that. So you're saying you're using brain power and that drains you in a probably a, a cognitive sense and a physical sense, right? You, you said you're often... Um, maybe lethargic or with no energy. So yeah, that, that would be uh, something fun. I would, I would like to see if it has any true value because I think meditation is not just for fun. It's not just something we do for our health. It's not, I think it is really our true state and why people feel so re-energized when they do meditate is because they're kind of returning to some core position in life that if you remember when we were kids the only thing that really mattered for 10 seconds was what we were playing uh what we were you know seeing our buddy do 10 seconds later we had absolutely no idea there's no no attachment to it but as we grew older we attach value to things and we, we would focus on well oh, i like this so i want to do more of this when you're a little kid you don't know what this is you're like well I'm going to touch that. You touch it as a baby. You say, this is squishy and soft. Okay, this is mashed potatoes. <laughs> or you grab something else and it's prickling. You say, okay, that's a cactus. But it, it's through kind of experimentation. But I like the idea of being so juvenile that there's no, no sense of importance put on anything special. What do you think? Very interesting. Two things come to mind when you said we attach value judgment to everything 
that sounds to me like we are telling us ourselves a story, creating a narrative, perhaps. The narrative I've been creating about toward the V2K is that it's not a human voice, it's a noise. But that by itself is a narrative. So I'm fighting right. one narrative with another narrative. I can't completely be dispassionate about it. I just need to use another narrative. So I have not reached that state of being absolutely dispassionate about it. It just it just another thing that will pass. I use a narrative to fight another narrative. To fight another narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, think of the last time you forgot something. You said, "Okay, I, I, darn it, I can't remember my own phone number. Is it three one five or is that five one three? As soon as you hear it, either by someone else, you know what it is. So the very fact that you forgot it doesn't mean you don't understand it. It means in that time and space, that particular sequence." is not important enough for you to focus on. Now, when you tell me, you say, hey, Don, I know your phone number. It's 315, blah, 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 blah. Oh, now I get it. Thanks, Len. But all I did was attach meaning to something that was already inside of me. I have that memory of it. So it's already part of my cognitive process. You reminding me, only thing it did is it added value to it or it added meaning or some symbolic thing that you and I can talk about numbers like three, one, five, three, it means absolutely nothing. I mean, even in a mathematical sense, the very fact that there's this wavelength that says three and it gets to you has no intrinsic meaning unless you and I put three things in a row and call that some special meaning. So what if the very fact of forgetting what this thing is, was your defense, not attaching to it now would that take some intensive meditation training and would it be uh, a real hard road i don't know i'm not battling what's coming in but i almost wish i could be len for a day and say okay this is what happens this is what it feels like let's put some training to use and try some like this this meditation method called shikan it's it's incredibly old. I mean, we're talking before the Vedas and the Vedas are from the Indian religion of, I don't want to call it Hinduism because it even predates Hinduism. So you've got like a, a three to 6,000 year old method that didn't take a PhD to think about it. Didn't take a scientific laboratory to create. Uh, there was no cell phones back then. Um, Maslow's, you know, we were pretty basic, you know, eat, survive, uh, make sense. But somehow they were able to reach this, you know, the pinnacle of his pyramid, which was that self-actualization, possibly because they didn't have all the crap that we have today. They didn't have all the baggage. They had a very simplistic um, canvas. So I'm wondering, I, I would like to, to, to research this and, and maybe we could go over some techniques and see well, that gave me a little bit of alleviation uh, that that didn't, what have you. Yeah, I would be open to that. Yeah, I would appreciate it if you looked into it. Uh, now that you know kind of my f- framework, uh, how mm-hmm. I think about it, how I try battle it, I'm definitely 
not fully succeeding. It's still very distracting. It still gets through. The most relief I get is when I am engaged with something else. So my attention is fully in that task. But the minute I pull my attention back, it it, it comes in. It comes it in and, and it drops. And now I'm paying attention to that. How do I not pay attention to something that I'm so prone to? This is so natural to us to hear human voice and to respond to hearing our name and whatever follows. But it just okay. it's just a reflex. It's just so hard not to react sure. to it. And yeah. that's why I created this scenario. If I immediately remind myself, this is just a noise. I'm not paying attention. I'm even sometimes I'm it says Len, blah, 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 blah. And I just repeat it in a nonverbal um manner. So it says, Len, uh, you need to and I say, Len, something like that. So just like I, I de-verbalize what I'm hearing. Okay. Is it always in English? Oh, no, no, it's in Russian. Mine is completely in, it's Russian. in Russian. Okay. Yes. Let's say it was in um, Botswana. And this, this wavelength Bot came over, you wouldn't understand it, right? Yes. I think that gets back to our meaning. Um, it's in a cultural language that I understand, so I give that meaning. So um, let's say if I, I told you something in uh, Japan, uh, um, Ringo Akadis, I just said, you know, an apple's red. Now to you, that means something, an apple's red, but Ringo Akadis means absolutely nothing to you because there's no meaning attributed to you. You just hear Aka, you just hear the, the phonetics. Now they might mean something to you, but let's say that I said that underwater. You heard that. Okay, now let's say I said that out in outer space where it didn't even travel to you. I think it goes back to the fact that we attach meaning to certain things and other things. Like there are millions of things that happen to me throughout the day. I attach no meaning to it. I don't understand how the microwave works. I press the button and out comes hot water. I don't really know um, you know, the technology behind, you know, the road being built a certain way and it supports my car, but I drive down it. So I think 99% of our life, we attach zero meaning to. But the 1% that we do, we attach an overly passionate meaning to it, meaning it's, we give too much credence to it. If we could back that away and be just that, that position of, equality everything is equal the good and the bad right having even giving evil things the same basic emptiness as magnificent wondrous you know cure for cancer great things i think that's a very hard um position or i don't want to say way of thinking because then we, we add layers and layers to it but almost an emptiness to it so i was very surprised to hear that yours are all in russian that, oh, that interests me a lot. Yeah, uh, they. My my hypo hypothesis is that they need people and they need experimental subject subjects of uh, all um, cultural and linguistic backgrounds. I'm bi bilingual, so perhaps they want to 
once again, a, a total guess. Perhaps they want wow. to degrade my English by making me go back in more into Russian. Because now, after I've been exposed for four plus years to this Russian V2K, sometimes I catch myself because I I've been for thirty years I've been thinking and speaking English and and thinking that's that's when you really get comfortable with the language now on occasions i catch myself a russian word would come up out of nowhere so yes there's subliminally or just by the repetition it 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 affects you it affects you and so perhaps my english is degrading maybe it's not obvious to you it is a little obvious to me interesting thing that that you said you you gave me that um example in Japanese and I and I thought about oh this is just a um beautiful collection of syllables and uh sounds right and in the past I tried communicating back to V2K in this oh. completely nonsensical made up language because my urge to respond was so so intense that I just had to respond. And so I decided, okay, if I'm going to respond, I'm going to respond in this nonsensical, non-existing language that is just a meaningless uh, collection of uh, sounds and syllables. And it was, and it gave me some relief because I was oh. responding, but I was responding with the nonsense. So that was another technique that I tried. I don't really do that anymore but on occasion i remember and i do it a little bit so this is another tool in uh, in my arsenal i like i like it very much <laughs> and it's funny because it's um, sometimes i still laugh at, at at the things i said because they just it sounds like i am speaking uh some foreign language from star trek or something yeah yes yes absolutely there are clicks there there's a sound there's a elevation and wow. it, it just absolutely random random sounds that i produce and nice. it's it's entertaining <laughs> so thanks for that uh for sharing your thoughts about it um, yeah i think it's interesting to take both of our experiences and uh, say you know, obviously you see it from a different perspective and you have a lot of subject knowledge on it and I'm way out in the weeds, but um, there's there's some kind of interpenetration of your experience and me listening to it. Oh, it, it definitely helps. It, 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 is, it is a very precious experience though. Uh, something I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned the other way that uh, you, uh, the other day, that you watched my interview with uh, Anna Mihalcha, uh, Dr. Anna Mihalcha, which I honestly think is the uh, most important interview I've done today. And you you commented about it. So I I want to hear your comments uh, live. Yeah. I, I like the way she speaks, not only what she says, because uh, number one, she's very smart. Um, that's That's easy to see. But she's also like a high-level communicator. So to get something across, I've listened to very, very smart people talk, and it's no one you want to listen to. Although they are very, very smart, there isn't a, oh, that was pleasurable to hear. It was facts, figures, um, 
they could even have the same like way they speak but it's very monotone and it doesn't her ability to she she paused at certain times how she got words across and you know she would repeat for example to show understanding of what you said uh, but i found she's a, a that's why i said she must be a champion of your cause because she has a charismatic way of speaking and that would get someone's attention that would I would listen to another lecture from her. I don't, she could lecture about sandbox maintenance. I don't care what it was. I would probably be engaged just by the way she presented not only the words, but the inflection, um, pausing, repeating. It was very, I felt like I was at home, some, so much to speak. I was in a living room listening to a conversation with someone, not in a big auditorium. So, I would say again, yeah, she's one of your big biggest champions. I would agree. Uh, I was also just mesmerized by uh, her telling her story. Uh, let me give you just a little background. Dr. Anne Michalczyk has been um, on the scene of fighting this COVID vaccine nonsense for a while, but She's a practitioner. She does live blood analysis. Uh, of, this is the uh, point where we kind of connected. We found each other because we do. We both do microscopy. But I've been watching her career and her Substack and her interviews. What she has never done is told people her targeting story. A lot of people who have known her for a long time said i had no idea she was a targeted individual and um she literally came out as a targeted individual during my interview and she said i would do it because you are also a targeted individual so you would understand and we're both doctors we understand what we're talking about we speak the same language we have an understanding of the technology so that was so precious that she chose to reveal her story during our conversation that was extremely precious what also struck me is how she described her experience even though things that she was saying were a little strange but i said it shocks me but it did not surprise me once again because of of my experience but what i really like is when she said, the things that were happening to me, I truly cannot, could not discern which one was my real experience and which one was experience projected into my brain. That you don't hear from targeted individuals every day. They just describe their experience and they say, this is what happened to me. She, with her scientific mind and her scientific approach, she told her story in a way that was more credible, I would say. I agree. Yeah, very articulate. We will continue our our collaboration because we're both kind of confirming each other's results, my microscopy. Uh, it, It took me places where I didn't expect to be basically there's some groundbreaking stuff i have evidence of some 
for artificial life uh, being present in some pharmaceutical product, not in vaccines. And so I'm actually shopping for an attorney to take this case somewhere because I'm not just going to sit on this information. I have to do something about it. And uh, Anna, is, uh, Dr. Anna is the same way. So we will be working on it together. I'm glad that you're you're shopping for an attorney. You're going to get this out there. That's amazing. Yeah, we we have to. We absolutely have to because uh, I called the FDA. They acknowledged my call and my email. Never heard back from them. I bought one share of Abbott because it's a product of Abbott Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, so I bought a share of Abbott Laboratories that owns Abbott Pharmaceuticals. I called the shareholders relations. They gave me a number in Switzerland where they make this product. Oh. I sent them the information. They promised to get back to me twice and they never have. So I am afraid that making a legal case is the way to go because if our government agencies don't really work anymore. I hope that the judicial branch is still working somewhat. Mm -hmm. well, so yeah, uh, interesting. I, I don't think you're surprised though when you got no response. No, no. But I might do something like calling Abbott again and saying, "Look, you have not responded to my shareholders' uh, requests." So my next phone call is to the Security and Exchange Committee. Let's see what they say. Uh, I don't mind right. calling them. I, I don't mind writing to the SEC. Hmm. Very good. Yes. Um, something else, else came across my uh, reading desk. Are you familiar with the type of line called it's called paltering? Alright, this is a popular article by BBC, but there's a Harvard article that um, suggested this phenomenon. So that was uh, advertised as a new form of lying. Um, and it was called paltering. So it is misleading by telling the truth. And the way I understand, uh, the, the way I understand this form of lying is that you actually admit to doing something wrong. Uh, you are telling the truth, but you're telling the truth. So it would, you are not, you're disclosing the truth you want to disclose, but you are, that takes away from your other lie that is so much bigger and so much worse. So you're giving something away and people think that, okay, well, you're telling the truth, but in in fact, you're covering up for a bigger lie. Are you familiar with this uh, phenomenon? I wasn't familiar with the word, that paltering. I wasn't familiar with the word, but um, I think in psychology, this is a huge part of uh, psychoanalysis because uh, when the therapist is asking a question, um, this happens all the time, I believe. Um, it's, it's not a technique per se. I think it's, it's a part of human psyche or human nature 
to give a truth and not give the whole truth per se. So I'm I'm wondering, you know, do we all do this every single day and just don't even realize it? Is it so much a part of um, how we, you know, we're humans, so how we interact with other humans? What about officials and government agencies that would, for example, admit some wrongdoing and that would be a distraction for people not to find out about much bigger wrongdoing. I think this is exactly what's been with the COVID vaccines, that they admitted finally that the mRNA was really uh, modified RNA, that uh, it contains not uridine, but, but pseudouridine. But I think there's a bigger truth behind the COVID vaccines, which is connected with nanotechnology, uh, brain cloud interface, mind control, brain control on a massive scale. I think this is an example of paltering by government institutions. And I think people are buying into that. Dr. Anna would tell you that in her opinion, and in my opinion, the biggest issue that we have to be discussing today is the invasive nanotechnology that is not only behind the vaccination, so-called vaccination, but also behind other uh, pharmaceutical products, and it's in the environment. And the ultimate goal of this is to uh, control the brain's and the minds. And we, we do distinguish between the brain control and the mind control. Mm -hmm. But what, what, and she also said during, during that interview, she said, people who deny that, they just don't know anything. She is confident that this is the biggest issue that we are facing. And every day that we're not discussing this issue, the future is slipping away from us. We are becoming cyborgs, whether we want it or not. We are not discussing this uh, invasive nanotechnology. It means that it's only getting stronger and it's done by paltering. Mm. How does that sound to you? Yeah, it's well, first, it sounds scary um, to think that that's happening. Um, every day you're not talking about it, you're getting closer to becoming one of the people that she just talked about that said, don't understand anything. And it's a catch 22. It, it, if you're not talking about it, you're getting closer to becoming that which you fear, right? That which is controlled or that which is that has no control to talk about it. So, that yeah, that's a that's a bad proposition for the entire human race. Correct. I think that once you're exposed to this information, you have an obligation to tell everybody in your surrounding. Because once you understand this is the utmost important issue we face, there's there are no excuses. That's what we have to be speaking every day until we come to some kind of form of controlling this. 
uh, there's nothing that stops that from propagating. And we need to create that defense. But first of all, we have to expose it. And then we have to put some restrictions to that technology. There's but, no oversight. But it will only happen when we have the critical mass of people who talk about it. So I've, I've been pretty harsh. And Anna, Dr. Anna has been pretty harsh. She said, people who don't speak about it, they are partially guilty in what what's happening. Because that's the only thing we need to talk about today. This is so urgent. She's very correct. Yeah, I agree. I'm very pessimistic. I know what this technology can do. Dr. Anna knows what this technology can do. But very few public intellectuals are on the same page. They think that the COVID vaccine is just an mRNA um, technology, but it's just an excuse to invade us with nanotechnology that is so much more dangerous than just mRNA. And so we've been victims of paltering. Very true. Very true. Well, good news and bad news. Good news, we we had another conversation. Bad news, we all gonna become cyborgs one way or another. <laughs> Double-edged sword, right? Yeah, Don. Thank you for another. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you. Fascinating conversation, and we'll speak. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Soon. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm.